and welcome to the PD Performance Podcast. Today's episode of the podcast is with Stephen Walsh, the founder of Atlas Performance down here in Limerick. We had a wide-ranging conversation about all things strength, all things conditioning, all things game speed, all things performance. Stephen is working primarily with youth athletes, female athletes in soccer, Gaelic football, but all sorts of athletes as well. So really broad conversation about all things coaching, about his life outside of coaching, as well as how to be an effective coach. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, please remember to like it, share it and send it. Steve, how are you doing? We're good, we're good. We finally got it done. Yeah, we finally got it done. We're doing uh, pure Stephen Bartlett. Diary of a CEO job in the kitchen, in round my table, house, yes. everything. It round looks, table discussion in my house. It looks um, the exact same. Good as to go, the, yeah. yeah. We're just going to be as professional and we're going to talk about the same things that he talks about. Yes. Well, maybe not. We should <laughs> see. But uh, we're just going through there before we started. You're quite busy at the moment, but it seems that one thing that you're doing very well is taking the weekends off. Yes. Um. Again... We've had this conversation before. The first time we met around my own timing and what I'm doing. Yeah. Um. I work probably 15, 16 hour days, Monday to Thursday, finish two o'clock on a Friday, like every good teacher does, um, <laughs> and then try to take Saturdays and Sundays off. I think just for my own like balance with, I suppose, life outside of the gym and coaching, and obviously having you know fiance and family and stuff like that. Is that like time has to be given there because you know yourself like when you're coaching with several teams at the same time, they all want you pitch nights, some six, seven o'clock at night. You don't get home till 10. You don't really do much. You're not really living. So at least then if your weekend's off, it's right, let's Saturday morning switch off. Now the odd time you do have to do a game or a session on a Saturday, but it's usually blanket Saturday, Sunday off, back into work at eight o'clock on Monday morning and then go from there. But They want you as well because they value what you do. So they want you to be there pitch side, but sometimes it can be difficult for them to realize that if they have your pitch side at every single game and you end up working six, seven days a week, then the version of you that they get pitch side isn't the version of you that they're getting currently. Yeah. So you need to refill your cup. And that's what I was going to ask is my next question was, <laughs> how is uh, the wedding prep coming? It's good. Um, so we are actually getting married Paddy's weekend next year. Um, so the 18th of March in Italy. So it's a three-day thing. Oh, you picked Italy, yeah. Picked Italy, yeah, yeah. So, so again, little aside, we went to the Sportsman Conference yeah. in Leeds in March. It was the 24 to the 26th. It was no Friday, idea. Saturday, Sunday. And then I, we, our flight was delayed home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> On the way home, we didn't land back in Ireland until about like one or two o'clock in the morning. I was back up again at five to get on a flight to Rome that Monday morning at seven. Um, landed in Rome around... 12 o'clock, I think it was, um, landed and the two of us just fell in love with it and picked it there and then. Well, I did anyway, so Claire took a bit of convincing, but um, it was fine. It's it's much easier than uh, organising a wedding in Ireland, for sure. Um, you have to go through all, like, you know, you get married in Ireland, you have to pick a venue, mm. you get caught with minimum sizes, you get caught with, you know, you can go to anywhere for your, like, suppliers, whereas it, over in Italy, you're not stuck, but they have a smaller bandwidth for like four or five suppliers for each one so it was much easier and they've been very good like so it hasn't been overly stressful yet mm-hmm. the hardest part was like obviously putting together your guest list that's to would have been over. harder i would say in ireland though yes because in ireland you can't it's harder to justify not inviting yeah. someone <laughs> which is the hard part whereas if you're going abroad it's like well 
I can't really bring you because you're going to be there for three days. And yeah. um, and I have been a bit more cutthroat with who I haven't invited. Um, but it's just, again, it's you're caught with the maximum number of like 140, whereas like over in Ireland, like the minimum number for a lot of places is 120. So you're you're caught with, and again, it's just been a little bit more decisive around. We're going for three days. Day one, two, and three are all organised. Everyone's going to be together for three days. So you have to have your your crew there about who's going to make it again. The best three days, hopefully. I would say us. as well, a lot of people because it's in Italy. Obviously, some people would be chomping at the bit, wanting to go and get over there, and then other people would be like straight away when you say that they'd be like, "Oh, I'm not going to be able to go." Yeah, and, and that that makes it easier because then you just fill the slots. Like. Yeah, because we've had, like, you're going to get your, I suppose, your older relatives who just, some people just aren't going to be able to travel. Yeah. And then obviously all our friends are like straight away, they're like, okay, like what date is on? And they're booking you know, flights out the week before. They're like, oh, we can go to Rome. People are going to Venice and my family are booking three or four days after it. So they leave on the Wednesday, go down to like Sorrento and nice. Naples and stuff. So like everyone's like just my massive holiday out of it. Yeah. It's Paddy's weekend as well. So people are getting that Monday off. So it suits me because they take less nice. less of a day off as well. So no, I actually really looking forward to it. Um, there's a one or two bits that we have to, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, one or two bits that we still have to organize, but nothing hectic, suits and stuff like that as well. But just but no better man to organize. You're a very organized individual, I'd say, in the chaos or amongst the chaos. Very chaotic in nature. Um, I was having this conversation with Jeff in the gym. Like I, I thrive in like chaoticness like yeah. i'm i'm very organized but up here yeah and it's getting it out of my head onto paper or a laptop or somewhere whereas like i know what i'm doing i know the process the thought process that gets us there and you know what it, what i want it to look like but then it's just i suppose it's that actual journey of getting there but no we're fine we've we've been very quick with things to get up to where we need to be it's just like i think it just suits organizing who's actually gonna do the ceremony and then enjoy your minor bits. I think that's clear will probably. Take so that's your weekend work that you're doing at the weekends when you're off Saturday, Sunday. Is yes, it? yes, that's why I have to have Saturday and Sunday <laughs> yeah, off. It's just to organize a wedding. It's organize a, a company Monday to Thursday and organize a wedding from Friday to Sunday. Yeah. So no, it's it's again it's it's enjoyable. It's, it's that like next stage of of our lives and like we've been together for ten years. Like and it's it's mad when you look back like ten years ago, like where we were, even like five years ago two years ago to now it's just it's like in the end it's like that journey of like progression through everything it's just yeah looking forward to it next year so you touched on there we met over at the sportsman conference when we were delayed <laughs> and forced to connect for yeah. a long long time but yes. it was great to connect great, and yeah. we had a the full day yeah we had a full day essentially and we only met on the final day as well wasn't it was it? funny yeah because it was it was during the lunchtime yeah of the sunday Cause like, it's like anything on Instagram, Twitter, like Facebook, everyone knows everyone. Kind of, you yeah. See, you see people like, oh, I know, I know that's so-and-so like, and you always like refer to people by their Instagram name. Like, <laughs> Joe, it's like, yeah. oh, you're like, oh, that's Esther Leader. Like, oh, that's- First that's, name, Petey, second that, name, performance. That, that's, Petey, that's Petey performance. <laughs> <laughs> no, and then it, I, got, I think it was one of them ones as well. Like there's a, there's a, there's actually a good crew of us over there um, in terms of like Irish coaches. There was so many. Um, and I think, nearly like half disappointed that it was the last day we connected on but look things happened the way they did we spent yeah. the whole day together um and jump got a chance to like discuss everything things. yeah around like coaching business just like life in general so it was great again to hear like I suppose someone else's perspective because we can get you know yourself get too caught up in what you're doing yourself um how you run things 
and then you like and getting someone else's perspective is mm. is great um that's what i found the benefit of as well it's like having jeff and jessica there and then involved with us as a business with atlas it's just it allows me to have you know, a sounding board regularly i think that whole day then i like like we spoke about like so much mm. and it was great to have those conversations around okay this is how i'm doing it this is how you're doing it okay how can i do it better what should i be doing um what should i have done since then that i haven't done um around like you know getting that balance right between coaching running a business being just steven yeah um it's tough but it, no i did really enjoy that weekend um it's so funny that our products are so similar but our business models and how we deliver them are quite different but then mm. The actual session that we put together right. and how we coach it is probably very, very similar. Oh, it's bang on. I'd like to say the same because it was funny because I think it was one the post you put up, even your story was it yesterday, the day before. The whole session. Um, around the the jab step and the yeah. side and change direction. I was like, I literally just did that about like two hours ago. Like and it's and it's the same again. How how we would have coached it and how we would have delivered it would have been like way different. Yeah. But like the outcome is nearly the same. Um, and then what we were wanting to get out of the session was the same, but it, like you said, our, our our business models are slightly different. Just me having a, a brick and mortar gym mm. as our like home makes it different. Yeah. Um, and I think if that wasn't the case, we'd probably be even more similar. Yeah. Um, even back to your um one of your episodes around like the online coaching stuff, like I don't tend to do a whole pile of that myself. Just just with the time um and then being able to provide as good of a service as i can in person mm -hmm. just wouldn't be the case um that was my point wasn't it the mm -hmm. in person versus online like you yeah. can do it but you, it's much more streamlined and effective in person but mm -hmm. then online works for a certain avatar or a certain client yeah i think a lot of the, the people that i work with like, i'm i'm a very like reactive coach in mm. terms of you see something straight away okay i'm seeing this let me record it let me show back to them it's like hey this is what we're seeing like, give a perfect example so we've um uh, two sisters in yesterday one of them's playing with um the she was with the limerick minor footballers which has been in around the squad now this year for the the senior footballers um and her sister um and the big thing is around just obviously like sprint speed um but her she plays as a fullback um, and I don't know if you've noticed this yourself, like different sports and different positions will present um, with different characteristics of issues around sprinting. So for fullbacks, it's typically like when they accelerate, they accelerate really low to the ground. They never get that like rise as they sprint because they're used to short sprints, closing down the forwards, getting low, being able to change direction. So they're always in that mindset of, okay, I need to accelerate, but also be in a position where I need to be able to try and turn so that you get stuck in that position. And I think like, it's very hard to do that as an online coach because you, you unless the, the clients are very good at recording their, their sessions and from multiple angles as well, because you get a video and it's from one specific angle mm -hmm. and you're like, if only I saw it from, because in a, in a coaching session in the gym, I can stand behind them, beside them. I can stand higher. I can crouch down lower. I can just like get like, like loads of different vantage points. And it's so, it's just so much easier for me. My coaching eye is like, I won't say it's like excellent, but it's much better than it used to be. Yeah. Whereas like do online, you're looking at like one, one still photo, one angle. And you're like, that's what I'm laughing at as well is because it's easier to have one, uh, one side of it or one optic from one angle. But because sometimes the athletes are working with the first time they do it, they're not familiar with it. And yeah. even though you say, 
record from side on they record the whole sprint from side on yeah. so you get half front yes. half side half everything so <laughs> like, yeah it's like a panoramic view of yeah. the sprint and you're like i just want just put the camera in one spot and then <laughs> yeah. run past it and it's like that like we, we talk about side on you're like hey it's like you need to like put the camera at halfway roughly five to ten meters away so you get like a full but like again it's people new to it i think that's where i i it's not that i don't enjoy the, the online coaching i think it's I I love being there mm. and having those conversations with people and it's mixing in between conversations about, okay here's what I see here's why I think that is here's what we're going to do to fix it and then you're also in like straight into conversation and about like okay what's the plans for the weekend and it's very like that personal side of thing and that's in terms of back to your point earlier around filling my cup I, like I do get a lot of like joy out of that and I think when you're online coaching, the tendency is just to, okay, I have this 45 minutes, whatever it is, half an hour chat. It all has to be about coaching because they're paying for a, a specific service. And it's it's not really like online personal training. It's like online coaching to get a result. Um, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that, but I think it's easier to deliver that real personal touch when you're in person because they walk in the door well how are you how was the weekend yeah how you been since the last saw you can see more yeah they're, they're doing a warm-up on a bike and you're having a chat okay like how has the week been you're talking all things like nutrition you know, like how was school how's college how was the game last night what's your training plans for the week and it's you know, over and back versus like voice messages which can even be even if you bit. don't talk to them in person yeah. when you see them walk in yeah. you can pick up on their energy oh, straight away like I, I i have clients that i've worked at like my my average retention rate is like a year or something um so you learn you get to the point where like you're just picking up you, like two seconds in the door like hey i know exactly how the session's gonna go um and sometimes it can be like you know how they look how they walk in the door like it like what they're wearing especially if you're if you're doing sessions with someone for a year like you can tell like when they walk in the door like sometimes people walk in with new gear and like uh, they're starting to feel themselves today because they got the bought new gear and like we know it's so you buy a new set of shoes like uh, I, i'm rocking these today like sometimes they come in and it might be an oversized hoodie and you know like they're like okay it's gonna be one of those ones where like one might need to be a little bit longer um and it's e i find that's easier because i'm just used to doing it mm -hmm. um and i think my personality suits that as well as like okay, if someone walks in the door okay i know i know how i need to be straight away like the session is the session we'll adjust it if we need to but i need to be a certain way likewise if you're in a team settings like sometimes you know the group is already like you know, amped up so you don't really need to do a whole pile so you can step back get in coach it minimally get out get the work done sometimes you know things are a little bit like lethargic slow and you're like yeah i need to be the person to bring the energy up and it's knowing being able to see that and recognize it straight away i think that's the bit that online coaching just doesn't suit my personality that way at all and that's what we spoke about when we were in Leeds as well was I went from having the gym and doing all in person and I was full, like, mm. essentially. So I had no more time, yeah. which was where you were when we spoke. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then I said, right, look, this isn't scalable and I have no time and I have no life. So I transitioned to fully online. Mm. Then I got mad stressed because I wasn't yet good enough online yeah. to Spotting. do it fully yeah. online. Uh, and then since then, I've transitioned into more of kind of a hybrid model of doing some of the online, some of the in-person one-on-one and then some, well, a lot of team and group. And to be honest, like, I think I could go fully online and I could be okay with that, but I enjoy 
the in-person so much and the working with the teams and actually connecting with the athletes and whatnot that I think I'd be bored yeah. if I didn't have it. You're sitting in front of the laptop all the time, like, aren't you? Really? Like, yeah. If you're fully online. If you're, you're fully online, you're, you're in front of the laptop. Yeah, you're programming online on the laptop. You know, you're having like Zoom calls. You're having like, it's WhatsApp voice notes. It's you know, watching video feedback. And it's all, and again, it's great because it, it, it allows us as like business people to scale up and jump, you know, obviously make more money because that's, that's, what that's part of why we do it. Like, it's it, business. We it can is a business. It, yeah. Yeah. We can say it. Um, let's not beat around it, but like, I think that our our personalities are drawn towards like being around people and being around different people, um, and then being able to be that kind of like social butterfly. Being like, okay, this person needs, you know, kind of like soldier esque type coaching, very military based. This person needs that hammer on the shoulder, be a little bit like hammer, and being able to like mix between both. And it's I think it's harder to get that connection. You can still get it, but it take. I think it's takes longer to build up online versus when you're with teams and when you're with you know personal training clients. It's very quick. You can pick it up in the first five minutes, and you're like, "Yeah, I know what this person's about." I've said it myself as well, and I know that I will always coach till the day I die. Oh, I'd yeah. say, um, pure Alex Ferguson spec. Even oh, when yeah, I'm not coaching, I'll yeah. be involved. Yeah, oh, you're like, in the stands, like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, phone in the pocket, being like, <laughs> "What are you doing?" Like, <laughs> I can see it from here. <laughs> if I could get to that st- stage, but yeah, it's just something I enjoy, something I see tremendous value in, and something that gives me a. a great deal of well-being and fulfillment i guess um and that's why we get into it generally as coaches because we know initially when you get into coaching there's not going to be a huge amount of compensation afforded to you yeah initially at least you can scale up to that and you can work up to that and build your profile and that's what we were talking about doing good work work, that's how you get there but you have to go through that slow period initially where you're just trying things out and you're figuring it out and that's coaching you're always trying to figure things out because yeah, it's problem solving always, yeah it's problem solving so then in relation to going back to the actual coaching side of things it's a big couple of weeks for you with the lead in you touched on there the Limerick senior ladies yeah. and coming up to an All-Ireland final yes. how has that experience gone this year and how does the next two weeks look for you guys um, so my, my role in that is it's a little bit different so with the teams the other teams that I've worked at I've been very kind of hands on so take the, a few of the other teams where I'm I'm a bit more of a sports scientist role where you're, you're, pro, you're structuring sessions and you're you know, dealing with the coaches being like hey here's how I think we should set this up whereas my role with the, the ladies footballers has been very much strength power speed coach in the gym so programming sessions um, again two sessions a week typically one that speed and power based session that we do in the gym as a group session um, again you got girls like coming from all over and it's it's something we might touch on later on the difference between working with men and women is yeah. like you know they have children and typically they are unfortunately for them who, who have ambitions to play at a high level they are ones that are, are usually uh delegated to look after them so they can't make training um and and all those other things so they it's it's been it's been a good a great experience for them i think um especially the the game against fermanix i think they lost to them last year um so i think for for this year there's been a a good few like hurdles to get over in terms of that i suppose that psychologically getting over the line um playing down in the final in two weeks time played them already um 
and lost that game. I think I, I was actually at it and I think the girls will know themselves that they didn't play anywhere near they could. Um, so we're looking forward to, to, to that game and again, the trip to Cove Park again. Everybody dreams of playing there, like, don't they? Like, um, But the, the started at the end of November and it's that usual like two-week program. The ones, it's a consistency thing too. The ones that we've seen the greatest results in are Everyone the ones that show. are there all the time um, and login sessions, even the ones that aren't there um, and are doing their own sessions or doing the sessions on their own, wherever they, that might be. And um, we've seen the greatest improvements from um, the next two weeks. We haven't changed much because um, obviously we've had the lead into the Munster final um, against Clare uh, about two months ago. Um, so we had a, two week prep period for that um, and then we had um, the league final sorry before that um, or there's a league, league building so we've had multiple periods of the season already where we've had a prep and I've just essentially mirrored that every time with some minor changes um, that's for consistency of psychological yeah. preparation as well as physical I'd imagine. yeah just because like in those like prep years, you one you don't want to be changing to an exercise because novelty is going to create soreness. You don't want to be sore at any period in that two weeks time, uh, in that two week period. Um, two, um, familiar familiarity allows us to drive more intent and more intensity in the session because they don't have to think about anything new. You don't have to coach it. Um, they can also get in out of the gym a little bit quicker as well. So rather than having to spend intensive coaching periods of the session, speaking. They get in, they get the work done, they're out. And it's it saves that, I suppose, that um, recovery load for the pitch-based sessions, which should start ramping up a bit more intensity as well. Um, and just, again, big focus for us has just been on strength, power, speed. So programming our sessions like we would for any other group. So we've got our, our, our warm-up block or um, speed prep. So at the moment, we're just going with some... Um, the Altus Rudiman hops, the Les Spellman stuff, and a good bit of the speedwork stuff kind of blended in together and into our warm ups. Um, and then band resisted sprints, some competitive sprints in the gym just to, just to get them going. And then the, the session's been really straightforward. It's been like um, trapper deadlifts heavy for, for doubles and hurdle hops. And then a little bit of um, single leg hamstring work, um, Copenhagen's and chin ups. So, like, very minimal volume. Um, very minimal exercises just I suppose the main ones that we want to touch on and mm-hmm. um, get them in get it, keep them feeling strong keep them I suppose primed to sprint quickly because especially when the volume of on field training is higher you want to give them what they're not getting in those pitch sessions especially if I'm not going to be at them I, the Graham's done a phenomenal job of, of having them flying fit because I've seen them in a couple of games and they've been like even the last like 10-15 minutes like it's it's never been fitness that's cost this group um which is again great to see so he's done a great job on that side because he's has a background in snc as well which is why i think the relationship has worked really well he manages the 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 fitness side on pitch because he's there all the time as the manager and all i have to worry about then is speed power strength so like just focus on that and that was he said to me eight months ago i was like that's all i want you to do don't worry about anything else um and it's been good. Look, I'm looking forward to it. Um, heading up next Saturday, day before, so a bit of mobility the day before. Get them feeling decent for the game. Wake up Sunday morning and then hopefully bring another All-Ireland back to Limerick. 
I was rooting for them, but then when yeah. you said that, no, I had to hopefully, join. hopefully, yeah, I hope for you and for the girls that that does come to fruition. But just to touch on what you said there about Graham, and it's something we spoke about when we were over in Leeds as well. Is I think a decent understanding of strength and conditioning, performance principles, sports science is going to be a prerequisite in the next decade for effective head coaching. Obviously, you need to have a very good understanding of learning and behavior and changing behavior and how people learn and how to teach. Mm. But then as well as that, I think you're going to have to understand performance principles because this head to head between the performance staff and the head coaches when there are differing views is not doing anything for the team usually and you can't just batter teams into submission anymore and unfortunately when that does occur it takes usually not all the time but sometimes it takes a few athletes to break before somebody realizes Oh, we're doing something wrong now i'm saying that probably being an eternal optimist um because that's been going on in professional football for yonks and they think that yeah. the ACL injuries are because they're not technically and tactically prepared enough for yeah. the gameplay. So then they just throw more training volume at them. Yeah. Whereas the answer is probably to take a little bit away from that in terms of the amount of time dedicated to it, make it more efficient and effective, and then getting some good physical preparation done. So you're an interesting one because you're working in association football as well, let's call it that, or soccer. Yeah, that. Um, f- fingers in, in in all the different sports. I think um, my like being a soccer player myself, I know how poor like physical prep has been in that sport. I think it's... Uh, one, I think it's a, a mentality thing with the players themselves. Um, they just haven't been exposed to it early enough. So they're like, okay, well, jump. all of my work is done with the ball. Why do I need to be X, Y, or Z? Um, but then we'll jump. We'll we'll talk about how great um, Kylian Mbappe is because he's the fastest player in the world. Um, you know, go back years ago, the likes of players like Adriano, like he used to kick the ball like 100 miles an hour and people were like, oh yeah, Joe, he's brilliant. It's like, right, but that's that's a, a physical like strength thing. But then when you talk about, okay, like let's get in the gym, be a little bit more physically prepared to you know, withstand the training load that you're actually going to be put under. Let's get in the gym or even on pitch and gym and let's develop our movement toolbox a bit better defensively specifically. Um, and then even a confidence thing I think, that comes from training regularly, I think is, is a ma- massively underrated part of the whole training process. And I think the, the association football side of things is slowly starting to, to get on board with, with training. I still feel that and like golf are still in that like transition period around, okay, it has to be a lot of like balance work like the same video pops up every year around Atletico Madrid doing their on pitch. I know you, you knew I was going to say it because it, it pops up every six months being like, oh, what do we think of this? It's like the same thing we thought the last time. It was like at no point if this pops up again in the five years will we be like, oh yeah, Jesus, they were right. Now, some of it, some of it, some of it is is decent. But if, and we can't say that's their entire program. So we have to be careful of saying, oh, that's rubbish. They shouldn't be doing that because we don't know. And I think that's other things as well. You look at professional footballers, sometimes they train twice a day. You're seeing two minutes of a a a two-a-day 
but you don't know what happens for the other seven days of the week. And it's like everything else, like you can't judge by that. So you can probably guess with Atletico that they're probably running a lot. Oh yeah, Diego Simeone has that. them running. That's probably their rest times. <laughs> yeah. But it's just, I think it's it's a. I've had a, a good bit of um, input with the the coaches of the soccer teams that I've worked with this year around. Okay, here's how I think we should structure sessions. And it's um, like my background as a, as a skills coach in, in the sport as well has helped me organize that. I think the the experience I've gained like earlier on in my coaching days was all the technical and the tactical side of, of association soccer, association football. You call it soccer. Call it soccer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then gaining that, I suppose, experience around coaching in the gym and then the last maybe year or two around speed for team sports and the game speed stuff now that in the last maybe year and a half that I've started to like, you know, really like go ahead first. And I think all of that is now coming together being like, I can be of real value to like head coaches and be like, look, I'm not telling you that what you're doing isn't good. I'm like, it is, and how you deliver it is good, but we can make it better. And you're always having those conversations. And, and I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that the teams that I am working with, they're very, very open-minded. Um, they understand that I've got this, don't want to call it unique, this nice blend of, I understand how the sport should be played. I understand the technical skills needed. And then they understand how the physical capacities and the physical buckets help you get to that point and then blending it all together so how can we structure a session when you've only got 75 minutes to an hour and a half to get the most done in the least um because again soccer coaches they love to do everything with the ball and then you have to explain to them it's like, okay that's fine but when we're doing our actual sprinting work with the goal of getting faster you do sometimes need to take the ball away so they can focus on it technically you need to keep the ball away long enough so that all they have to focus on is running fast and then add the ball in to create a little bit more again intent around what they're doing but now it becomes a bit more of a game speed and that's when you blend everything together so it's yeah yeah, you go from doing like straight line maybe 15 30 meter sprints or flying sprints to now it's you know 10 15 meter acceleration into a 180 degree turn sprint to a ball and you're into Mm -hmm. a 1v1 drill then so now they love that everyone's satisfied then because the players are getting touches on the ball there is competition. You know, everyone's like loving training. The sports coach looking over, okay, they're getting you know, technical touches on the ball. Your defenders are defending. Your attackers are trying to score goals. And, and it's a bit more of a complete program. But you do have to build towards that, which is why it helps like off-season into pre-season, having that block of time early in the year to, to embed some of that. And we, we've we've had time to do that with the the 3D under-17s that we've worked with. And we're starting to now see everything come together. Um a little bit of a rocky start for them at the start of the year. Um, like physically, they were progressing really well, but weren't really seeing any sort of transfer to unpitched stuff. Whereas now, um, like like the girls are picking up like yellow cards for like shoulder to shoulder tackles because the referee's like, oh, well, that must be a foul. I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> and stuff like that. So we're getting like that whole like transfer of training and like, you know, they're performing really well, enjoying the the game even more and confident and it, yeah. feeling good oh absolutely again specifically for girls it's just like get, get them confident get them in the gym get them like wanting to go to training whether it's in the gym in the pitch and then we can start to see the level of like performance especially some of the games at the world cup this year it's just been you know it has been class like i was gonna ask you 
what do you think the major barrier to improving performance and S&C in soccer has been? But I think you kind of touched on it, at least from my perspective. I think it's lack of understanding, but I think it's from two sides. And I think you've also answered the question as to how you've navigated that barrier, (laughs) because I think the lack of understanding from the players around their physical preparation in the gym and and on the pitch in terms of their speed change direction work how that prepares them for mm. the the game and for training that comes from potentially a little bit top down from the manager doesn't understand the importance of yeah. load monitoring load management and training with decent principles mm. to hopefully lead to improved performance but i also won't point the finger completely in their court. I think a lot of S&C coaches have a lack of understanding about the games that they work with. And they're just like, I'm the S&C coach, I'm just in the gym. And I'm going to get them to lift heavy today. And it's like, well, we have a game at the weekend and I don't think they need that volume of work this week because... German volume training on a Friday? Absolutely. (laughs) 10 sets of 10. Yeah, sure. (laughs) What happens on the pitch isn't my problem. (laughs) Exactly. And I think... By understanding the game, asking the right questions and actually trying to break down the game in your mind and understand what's going on in the field, it makes you a much more effective coach because not only can you get a lot better at coaching the speed, the game speed and integrating it into technical skills, drills and even from a tactical perspective as well um, on the pitch, which will help the buy-in from both the coaches and the players. It also allows you to use cues and coach using terminology that suits the players in the gym. Mm. So you can break it down to them. You know yourself a lot of time, like, well, why are we doing this? And then you can break it down as in, well, we're doing a trap bar uh, deadlift because we're trying to improve your ability to create vertical force. And then that ability to create vertical force is going to help you to get up for a header or something. And then they're like, oh, deadly. And then they just, yeah, bashed about like yeah. they're getting up for a header, and, and I and I think that they've helped me with that that group specifically because I have been on the pitch with them, and there's been times where we've done stuff and you get that look that's like, what are we doing after? And then you're like, I know if I try and explain this, it's gonna take me too long, mm-hmm. and it it do, sometimes doesn't suit my personality to go into big long winded conversations because mm-hmm. I don't don't want to talk for too long to like a 16, 17 year old and they're gone like you're, you've lost them, so I think I'm like. Sometimes it's just frame it, okay, we're just getting physically stronger. And then what will happen is we'll do we'll do our gym session on a Monday and then we'll train on a Tuesday and something will happen within the game or training session. And I'm like, that's why you do it. So now I don't have to say anything because they're looking at me and they're like, ah. And it goes from that confusing, I don't know why I'm doing this to that's why you're doing it. And it could be something as simple as like, we I started to integrate some of the uh, wrestling and grappling variations now, for, for rugby players, that makes a lot of sense because they're like, well, okay, I get it. For soccer players, it doesn't make a whole pile of sense because they're like, well, like, that's a foul like in a game. But the the reference point was like, hey, just managing your own body weight against, like it's all well and good being physically stronger, but being able to manage and manipulate your own body weight against someone else that's moving constantly, it, it frames things better for players. So now that we did it, we did a couple of like shoulder to shoulder or back to back kind of pushes and you know, get a great laugh out of it in the gym and they're not really sure why they do it. But then the day after in training, we're doing this like <clears throat> 1v1 drill or 2v1 drill where ball is played into the striker. 
mm-hmm. and they've got an option either to take a touch and take them on or they play a little one two and they spin behind so now the reference point for why we're doing the thing the day before is as the striker feel the pressure from behind and when you feel it on your right shoulder you roll them left and when you feel it on the left shoulder you roll them right and it'll be similar and again Gaelic football if you're not the type of forward that likes to make that loopy curvilinear run into space and you like to go okay we're going to go back to back and get feel the contact feeling that pressure from behind helps you make better decisions in terms of where you go I think that then when you do those actual skills drills where there's a technical and a tactical side of things now all of that stuff ties together so we're not doing it just because I said so it's like you're doing it because I want you as a specific player in that specific position to be able to do these types of movements and understand when and get the timing right because mm-hmm. it's all well and good teaching and feel someone. It as well. yeah to feel it because and it's it's a coaching cue I've used quite a lot in the gym as well like when when you're doing like um sprint drills and sprint prep a lot of times players will look down and they they want to look at their hands and their legs and like don't look down so because I need you to feel it I don't want you to see it because on the pitch you you again you watch in the the best if you watch like basketballers specifically when they're driven they don't look at the ball they don't look at their feet where they are they do a little jab step and and at no point are they ever looking at the ball or their feet so because you have to feel it you need to feel where the ball is how much pressure you put into the ball like a player like you you don't you need to learn feel for how far i need how hard i need to kick the ball to get at a certain distance like how fast i need to run to close a gap and things like that it has to be an internal feeling versus a, a visual like yeah. and players crave that visual and when they when you take it away it can be a nightmare because things like go all over shop but then they they learn to okay they learn to do like, to listen to things so when you're doing like pogo jumps now they're listening for that Here, actual yeah. pop sound now they're you know, feeling what it actually feels like to have their knee in the right position or getting to good shapes versus having to see it and that's when you get your best transferred into actual like performance improvements because they feel a difference now and you you, ha- you have to sometimes let them get it wrong multiple times and then over cue it to get it right and exaggerated and now it's like a, let them figure out now this like fine balance between the two because all the time you're trying to balance two things so for like when you're doing a, a 10-5 jump test it's like you balance like ground contact time and jump height mm-hmm. spend too long on the floor jump really high bad score get off the ground too quickly you don't jump high enough bad score same with sprinting spend too long on the floor push for too long technique wise you run slower likewise don't spend enough time on the floor you don't push and it's that getting athletes to understand that fine balance and knowing the the physical side of things that, that we know as snc coaches and sports scientists and then translating that to players to understand okay that's why i'm doing it not knowing not necessarily why we're doing it as, as a group but it, like as an athlete so like they need to know to get buy-in and that's when they feel it though oh they'll buy it immediately yeah because you, you get that look of like ah oh, and i'm like they get it now yeah. and then it's so much easier because now you can go from having these one to two minute conversations around queuing and now it's one word yeah. um and so, you anchor them to that yeah. almost every rep you're like yeah. okay yeah and it's like um nick winkerman's the, the art of like like coaching around language yeah. and it's like finding cues like you cue the same exercise for five different people with five different words meaning different things 
but you get the same end result anyway and it's knowing who to use those words with some some players will will like more internal like words like what what it actually feels like versus some will like prefer a little bit more external um like focus and it's again that that art of coaching around understanding who's who and knowing who's just going to get it straight away regardless Mm -hmm. and who's going to need a little bit more like help and that's that's coaching though yeah that's you're you're never going to have groups that are everyone gets it like no and you'll always have groups that are looking at their feet it happens all the time but i'm laughing because you said about uh getting them to look up and look away from their feet and i had that like problem so much with our ladies group in that they're looking at their feet and Mm. one of them said to me recently when i was giving positive feedback they're like you being serious and i was like yeah it's like oh thanks thanks i I thought you were yeah i was like like, what the hell like this happened all week and i was like yeah but you just have this sarcastic undertone to everything like a passive aggressive like compliment and you're like is he is he slagging me off again but then i'm thinking back to how i probably try to convey what i want and i try to get in the most efficient way possible with a group so when they're all looking at their feet i get them to walk back in and i say okay everybody point to your feet it's like good you know where they are okay <laughs> stop, now, looking stop looking at them yeah uh, and they get it then they're yeah. like oh okay yeah. yeah probably shouldn't be looking at my feet but then i had an experience during the week where i was returning to play uh an injured or a hamstring return to play with an athlete and got him in a one-on-one setting and the whole time that we've been doing dribble bleeds or front side bleeds with him in a group scenario every time he does it i'm trying to get him to look up and i'm telling him you're looking at your feet, look up. And he didn't get it. And then on Tuesday, we had him in a one-on-one setting and I explained to him and I didn't use look up. I said, look down the field, see that uh, board yeah. down at the end of the field, just look at that. And then he did it and he was like, I've never felt like that before. That feels like <laughs> so fluid. <laughs> so mad. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, only took two years. But yeah. <laughs> we got it eventually. Yeah. And he, once they feel that then, then after that, when we did multiple other reps, I and I'd always quiz them when they're coming back from the rep. Okay, how was that? He could tell me he's like, oh, I looked down there for a second, so I did. I, yeah. I didn't look up and I didn't feel as good. Like, and yeah, it's interesting. Then when you look at the GPS metrics off the back of having that technical change, and you see that you're hitting the markers that you want to hit, mm. and you're hitting what you want out of the session, and they're doing it, and they're a lot less taxed they're feeling a lot more fluid they're feeling more energized and they feel like they've achieved something even if it's something as small as showing them on video look this is how you did look and this is how you look now yeah and it's such a small win and that's what you're trying to do as a coach is create small wins all the time yeah you're just looking for that small little bit of okay like coaching is always a long-term thing because you're you, you might make minor minor changes every session sometimes you might make any changes it's never the odd time the rare unicorns it's just a massive change it, someone goes from being like you know athletically like inept <laughs> yeah to being like you know one of your better movers in the group like and that rarely ever happens like it could we're not saying it doesn't but it's more you're making these minor alterations to certain things in sessions and then giving them reps on reps on reps slight different variations of the same exercises all the time like we use the same exercises in the gym for like all nearly all sports around this the speed prep and then it's just little variations so depending so yesterday um one of the things was um 
she was leaning too far forward from the torso. Um, and sometimes with females, that can be a strength thing. Um, and what's happening is when you lean too far forward, your body feels like it's going to fall over. So the automatic response to that is to put the foot too far out in front. And that's a braking step. So you're trying to minimize braking forces, but she's not purposely putting her foot out in front. It's just as a result of her taking the cue that I gave her around, okay, we want the forward lean to the extreme. The extreme and now she's getting worse with that foot out in front. I'm like, okay, how can I stop her leaning forward so, so much? She's like, okay, look, put a dowel on the back. So now she's no hands to counterbalance it. Straight away, then you're having to go a little bit more upright. Now the foot has to land a little bit further back so now you're getting a different feeling to that athlete and you video it so now they see it and they feel the difference and then you just again just kind of repping that regularly okay every time you do your sprint work and take the hands out completely just for now just to get that feeling of foot landing you know somewhere closer to underneath your hips so that we can project forward a bit better rather than having this kind of like flat-footed braking force that's stopping you from getting there a little bit quicker and it's just you know, picking up those things where small changes it's not going to make a drastic change now but one one day during a game she's gonna be like geez that felt quick mm. and then that's when they get that okay it's this is working and even if you just do that for one to two reps and then the rest of the reps they do without it mm. they can try to feel what they're feeling and they likely will because they're mm. moving moving in that way in their first preparatory kind of reps yeah. and then they're moving that way in the next ones where they're actually chasing a little bit more velocity maybe and I had the same thing happen during the week actually <laughs> in that I had an athlete accelerate with a band well two athletes one accelerate with a band around their hips for 10 meters and another one I had do like a prime time or a straight leg bound with the band out in front mm. because the first athlete with the band around his hips, he is like that, an over-rotator, and he just leans because he knows, okay, I have to lean forward. So then yeah. the exact same thing, yeah. big vertical shape yeah. as it just hits. Because you don't have the strength to maintain that up exactly. like, position. So I got him to get his hips up on the axle, and then he said, when we got into the session, he's like, geez, I might do that four games. Like, he's <laughs> like, I, I just felt like I was actually going for it. changed his life. Like, yeah, yeah, it's just like that look. I'm like, oh man, that feels class. Yeah, <laughs> and then the other guy with straight leg bound, he struggles in that, like, he's a little bit too vertical. So mm. he's just up and down on the straight leg bound. He's not creating enough projection and getting his hip forward. So I banded around the front and I didn't want him rotating too much either. And he did a couple of them. And then we went into the session and we were doing uh, prime times. And then he came up to me after and he's like, I might do that for every session. I felt like I was just flying down the field. Like, yeah. and, like such small things, but it's just finding the right tool for the right athlete at the right yeah. time. And that's what yeah. good coaches do. Yeah. Like it's, it's not one size no, fits all no. for everyone. And it's having multiple ways of doing it. And knowing, I suppose, again, as a coaching eye, like what you're looking for, then what you're looking at. And I'm like, okay, how can I fix this? Like without having to say anything. Because like <laughs> we're so lazy, like. <laughs> but like we we understand like, and I know there's gonna be like there's gonna be loads of athletes like listen to this like athletes inherently don't want to listen to us for too long. They don't like, listen they, to us full stop. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> some of them listen really well, and then some of them are just like, hey, like just tell me what I need to do, let me do it, and let me do it how I want to do it. Whereas like, hey, let me try and get you to do it a little bit better. So again, you wanna you wanna get these changes without having to say anything because then they don't have to listen to you because it's again it's constraints based coaching the constraint you place on them will just give you what you want anyway and then they get that like eureka moment being like ah this is it and then 
if they have been an athlete that doesn't listen to you, now they're more likely to listen to you when you speak because like, yeah, this fella knows what he's doing. Like, um, and it's again getting that buy-in early, er, rather than later, um, is is obviously the goal as a coach. Like, so you can when you start doing the more advanced stuff or more like tricky stuff that like you've got the buy-in and you know that it's not gonna be. Do you know what pain to try and have to coach us because players are just like a million miles away then every time he starts speaking? I'm taking the piss as well, obviously. They do listen, but <laughs> some more than others. Yeah. But something that we said we would talk about and that we did talk about the last time we met as well is we both work a lot with both male and female athletes and there are clear differences in how you coach the different athletes. Now, we've touched on <clears throat> with the female athletes, it's a lot about just trying to give them confidence and create mm. confidence through experience through training through achieving things mm. how do you does your coaching process differ for a male athlete versus a female athlete or does it at all um so actually had this conversation with jeff recently like so the majority of my clients are actually female i'd argue i'd say 80 percent at least are female that's a lot. and that's including teams um and uh personal training clients um I think working with males versus fem- or females versus males suits my personality a bit better. I have a, a like I'm I know I can be quite outspoken. I know <laughs> I know I can be um but I, I'm I'm actually way more reserved in coaches. I'm I'm very like visual coacher and I don't say a whole pile. And I think versus I don't have that like typical strength coach like personality where i get it in the gym and it's like let's go and like that's not me like and i think what happens is like that sort of personality doesn't suit a lot of females either because it can become quite intimidating they're like i don't want that like um because you're trying to build confidence and jump competency and just get them in the door um in terms of the coaching process it, it doesn't really differ as much um in terms of like we're still gonna kind of get through the the same sort of stuff i think the more recently i think what's happened is so we've, we've done we'd work with both males and females and do things like drop jumps and, and drop landings and i think one of the things i picked up is like especially with the the whole increase in acl is that female athletes tend to land stiffer anyway yeah so what i've started to do is a majority of my landings have been um like yielding landings just to again we're getting into some I'm like doing pl- the exact same plus thing. Trials, yeah. <laughs> of yeah. course I am. Because because they're because they're 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 naturally inclined to to stiffen up, which is a large part of the reason why females are more inclined to to suffer an ACL when they're put into those positions. Because you see males get into similar positions and the 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 frequency and the rate is never as high. So I think that's been so things like drop landings has been more of a, a softer yielding landing with a little bit of a, a reactive like jump slash hop out of it. Just so we're still getting some form of like reactivity or just like some um, reflexive work as opposed to everything's not like muscular orientated. Um, I think that's one big difference between the two. Um, probably taking a little bit longer to understand the people that i'm working with because again when you work with females 
Um, it's something that as male strength coaches or S&C coaches, we don't talk a whole pile about, but the whole, I suppose, influence of the menstrual cycle is a big thing. And I think we need to understand that. Um, I have a very funny story about when I tried to explain the impact that the menstrual cycle can have on performance for female athletes. I put a post up on it on Facebook. I was on holidays in Greece and my phone blew up. I was like, this is great. But it was all people telling me that I was trying to mansplain what uh. a period is for females. And that's something that you're going to run into as well. But I think understanding that... But you that, were coming from a good place. Yes, it, it, was, it was the same way. Okay, this is, this is what it is. A real short intro. Mm-hmm. And this is how it can impact you as a female athlete who's trying to perform at the highest level. Um, whether that's you know an increase in in cravings around certain times and how females can be very harsh on themselves when that happens because they might go have a little bar of chocolate and they're like nutrition was shy and I was like it wasn't like that's jump something that they they have to deal with we we'll never really have an understanding like I, I'm I'm a clear ten years and I still don't understand it fully like but I think psychologically so I think as a male coach knowing that having awareness of it and being able to identify who may or may not be um suffering a little bit mm-hmm. um some females suffer wor- suffer worse but i think sometimes again working with alleys on the pitch you see some days you're like you know they're not maybe not lifting as heavy or on the pitch like performance wise they're they're not performing and you're as a coach coaching an athlete in general you can be very quick to jump in and be like pull them out and be like what's going on like you're not performing this isn't good enough and have that conversation versus i think when you work with a lot of females you're a bit more inclined to take that second and be like okay just it it could just be one of those weeks yeah um but even non-related to that i find that female athletes inherently hold on to their mistakes uh, oh, a lot more yeah. and are also a lot harder on themselves mm. so like if they make a mistake, they attach it to themselves and oh, their time. self-worth. And they're yeah. like, I'm useless. Whereas I find, and it's it's a great thing about male athletes that like they can make a mistake and in the next two seconds, like they're that mistake end, like, is gone. Oh, yeah. it, That's an ego thing too though. Cause again, like as, as men, we do have like a bigger ego in general. Yeah. And I think like our- oh, I missed that one, but this one's <laughs> going over. Sure, like- no, it's not my fault. Like I'm gonna try it again two minutes later. I yeah. think that that ego thing, uh, like just we forget about it. I think as, as as men, we don't like hold on to things as long anyway. Yeah. Um, sometimes to our own detriment. Maybe we should probably hold on to it for a bit longer to try and fix it. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that is is, is something that I I'm always like very conscious of is is um the I suppose the challenges both as a as an athlete um as an individual but also like you know socially that um like with that limerick the senior footballers like they're the age range of that squad is from 18 to like mid 30s so you've got like some people in the squad again do have kids it's a it's a very real responsibility and i think like when you work with men you tend to forget that some of these lads are turning up to training all the time and they do have kids at home um and don't you know, they're lucky enough to have you know, a woman who's you know minding them whereas sometimes like not all female athletes are going to have that same luxury um let's call it that um and i think that's again it could be a little bit of a barrier to 
females um, excelling at the highest levels. Um, I think it's it's getting a little bit better, um, which is great because again, it, it allows more and more female athletes to excel and the more high quality female performers you have in the sport, the better everyone gets mm-hmm. versus when you have jump, they have to make this certain life decisions around, you know, do they prioritize work, family, sport, whereas men, as men, we typically don't have to make that decision. So it's something, again, socially have to be aware of. Um, but I think with with female athletes, especially if they're new to the gym and it's the difference between men and women or girls and boys more specifically, so we're talking kind of 15 to 18 age range, with boys, you have to hold them back a little bit and stop that ego getting the better of them to, oh, well, sure, man, I'm huge. like And then they load up the bench press with 35 kilos and they fail on the second one. You're like, mm, are you? Whereas with girls, you have to teach them to strain a bit more because they're initially, they're less likely to find that strain point and be like, okay, I can push through this a little bit. I think once you get over that like initial, okay, it's going to be a little bit hard sometimes, but I can push you as I can do more than I think I'm able for. And that's when you start building that confidence. And I've seen it again with this 17s group. Like a lot of them actually have two years at this age group. Some of them are 15, 16 coming into that squad. So they're, again, I forget sometimes they are very, like they're very young, but like they took to the gym sessions, like they took to water and like don't trap our deadlifts or like some of them, I think half the squad are you know, regularly doing like 120 kilos, like for reps, like which is double body weight for a lot of them, which is, you know, ridiculously strong again that's like me doing like 185 190 give my weight away here 180 190 reps like i'm not doing that like i'm doing 180 190 for one like at a struggle um and i think like just getting fight helping them find that strain point as a, as a female athlete is the gateway then to me okay now that you know what it's like you can be, have that as a reference point whereas boys are like okay i'm gonna it's on the program for a set of 12 but I can do I'm gonna go today. more. I'm gonna put on an extra 15 kilos. Then it's on the program for today and see how I get on. And then the second one, they're dust. Mm. And then they're like, "Geez, I don't know why that is." Both of them don't know what they're capable of <laughs> in different ways. Different ways, yeah, yeah. But both of them don't know what they need to mm. cause or elicit an adaptation as mm. well. So, oh, 100%. The, yeah. the ladies or the girls and the female athletes, they need a little bit more and are capable of a little bit more the lads are probably not capable of what they think they are but they nor do they need to go to that extreme they'll get what they need out of something a little bit less and it's something about like if you are doing testing now we don't do that much strength testing anymore because in ga it's quite hard to structure it in a dublin in a dublin season (laughs) when you're playing two games a week for 30 plus weeks but it's about having them fail forwards as well. So I'd always say, okay, whatever your perceived max is going to be or your, your three rep, five rep, whatever you're doing. If, and I think I took it from Adrian O'Brien, if you hit that max, leave it, then hmm. you've hit a new PB. Yeah. Step out, don't fail at leave the gym with a good feeling. And then yeah. the next time you come back in for the test and we'll retest and hopefully do the same thing again and we'll 100%. keep driving it on. Yeah. Um, and then same thing with the females in the gym. When you add on, they think it's going to break their back to add another 2.5, 5 kilos. Yeah. And then you get Jeez. them to do it. And, and then they're like, 
and then you ask them, how was that? And they're like, that was actually fine. Yeah. It was grand. Yeah. And um, it's, and it's stacking those, those types of scenarios and moments for those athletes mm-hmm. to get to the point where now they're like, okay, well, throw on an extra 10. Yeah. Then they start moving towards that. Like, all right, now I, kn- now I know what I'm able for. Let me see what I'm actually capable of. And I've seen that again with the ones that are in there more frequently now i'm having to spend more time being like maybe don't go as heavy today because like you're looking at him like like you know two warm-up sets mm-hmm. of five second warm-up set looks a little bit heavy it's a bit slow i'm like mm, maybe we should won't pull back a bit and that's again that fail forward thing and sometimes that's where again as a coach you need to figure out maybe that's just me mm-hmm. thinking okay maybe we shouldn't and then maybe i should just you know let him but it's this fine balance between like I know, especially with that seventeens group, where like that's a long term project for that specific age group. So in the next three to five years, that they make it to the senior squad and they've got four or five years of training behind their back, uh, and they've they've trained right. They know when to push, when to pull back, um, and giving them they're the I suppose the finer details of like coaching someone that. Mm-hmm sometimes we forget to impart on our athletes sometimes we think okay, it's the programming it's you know, pushing someone until they can't go anymore um versus okay let me you know, teach them how to you know, dump a front squat if they can't let me teach them how to okay if you're not feeling it today that's okay it's not a, it's not a bad thing it's just that's just how you are today maybe drop off five percent from what you were actually supposed to do and it's teaching those little finer skills especially again going back to the, the female side of things that's something you counter a bit more regularly um on a on a week by week basis which is why for my own personal training clients i try to test them on all of the jumps and um things every week for at least the first two months so that you get this picture of okay this is what your regular fluctuations might be like and then you do that whole thing where you just compare like like weeks with like weeks so like mm-hmm. this this week compared to four weeks ago you're so this week compared to last week, you might be down like five percent, and they're looking at it going like, "Oh, geez, I'm getting worse." Whereas like <laughs> you're not, di- yeah. you're not. This week compared to like four weeks ago, you're actually up like twelve percent. Mm. It's just that little, and it's you know yourself when you're using the output sports thing, you can look at it from a, a day, a week, a month, and an all time, mm-hmm. and it's you. And I put up on my story like two weeks ago, being like, depending on how you look at things and how, what your window of references will can dictate how you feel you're progressing. Because your trend line within a week might be trending downwards, but your trend line of all time is still creeping upwards. And that's as athletes, you're just training regularly. You're never finished. Like you're just constantly you know, changing little things, progressing all the time, failing forward, as you said. But the more information you get, the better. And you get more information from doing more reps and being more consistent and getting to the gym. And that's yeah. why you're saying the girls that have been most consistent are the ones that are improving the most. Because they know their bodies better than mm. the others know their bodies. You know them as athletes better than you know the others because you've seen yeah. more of them. And they get to try out, fail, succeed, do all these things, but they're committed, they're bought in, and they're trying things regularly to improve yeah. their performance. And that's not to say that every day is going to be a great success, mm. but getting in there is more valuable than not. Generally, yeah. generally, sometimes yeah. you need to kill the jets. But you did yeah. touch on being relatively outspoken and i was just thinking there when you were talking (laughs) it's like people that only know you from twitter that listen to this are probably like jesus steven's actually i'm actually kind of sound he sound like he's actually grand so 
we've had the conversation previously like i choose not to partake in the twitter spats and the arguments um <laughs> but we have you, to call it x now don't we I, oh yeah actually yeah. i keep looking for it when i, I know, put yeah. up a tweet and i'm like twitter and no, i'm like where is the blue yeah but um why do you bother so i think so i i've i've understood quite early like where our target market lies obviously as the the founder of of atlas um i am managing the the social media side the the marketing the sales i'm doing a lot of that um so when when we put up something on facebook we're speaking to parents of athletes in that kind of 11 to 15 age range so you you speak a certain way to them Mm -hmm. when you're on instagram you're typically talking to athletes between the age of 15 to 30 roughly i think that's the 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 target market there so you know you're speaking a certain way um whereas on twitter it's more it's 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 coaches like um and it's and it's coaches of teams and then it's just like you know i suppose regular people but it's typically that older like usually 25 plus um and i think like i i do try to speak quite candid anyway mm. because i tr- would like not to mince my words because i've i have conversations with people sometimes who do tend to like speaking riddles and i'm like you don't really get a clear idea of what they're actually looking for whereas like in life i'm like well this is but this is what i mean i'm going to say it exactly how i mean and you combine that i suppose proclivity to just speak like candidly with little words and then you add in a character like limit on twitter so you can't go any long-winded conversations you can't um over elaborate too much you have to get straight to the point you don't typically use many emojis. So when you read text without an emoji, it seems very cutthroat if it's not. So again, it's direct. Uh, yeah. Um, and then you also combine that with the fact that like we all know from a marketing side of things, like being controversial is the easiest way to drum up because people will start complaining. Like you, you say something that everyone agrees with and it doesn't do well, even though you're right, no one's going to disagree with it. It's the algorithm doesn't like it. The time that you were trying to be controversial you got called out probably the most which was that post uh, that you were accused about mansplaining yeah so, so two, two occasions that one that one blew up as well so that was on facebook and, and you were trying to be as trying to sound. broad and yeah. sound as you possibly could yeah. and then so there was one specific occasion it was actually my birthday weekend and i put up um so like obviously we deal with um girls who were doing snc somewhere else you can call it that um, oh i know i remember this so i it was my birthday weekend um and i had it already in my drafts kind of like as a loose kind of like question question yeah. and then during the week then i've had like multiple conversations with certain people around different things around oh we started doing snc somewhere and i was oh joe how did you find this and then they tell me and i was like okay what did you do and then they tell me and i'm like looking and i'm like and you're like, it feeds back into the conversation I had earlier around barriers to female performance. And I was like, that's one of them. Um, and then I think... Do you want to outline what it was that they were doing or do you prefer to... So it was like, so there, there, I think it was 40 minutes. They were doing all circuit-based training, like Tabata-based, like 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off. Which again, is not inherently a bad thing. I think for a certain population, for a 30, 45 minute class for and call them a weekend warrior around like mm-hmm. you know if their if their main goal is just to get like healthy and feel better then that's fine mm-hmm. but we're dealing with players in a in an inter-county setup who 
want to perform at the highest level and jump the the physical qualities you need to teach them are to run fast to change direction to be strong um to again the whole nutrition and the psychology around sport that's not giving them that which frustrates me a little bit um and so you didn't put it that that no i didn't put it it, it, it i see so then i it, it developed a little bit and then i it became a three or four like tweet thread and i might have changed several words to be less nice about it to fully convey without using emojis to fully convey how frustrated i was and how stupid i think it was um because i think the last question i wrote was like who's funding this stuff (laughs) and a question mark and then it blew up and then it was all the jumps people replying being like it was it was a nice mix to be fair it wasn't all bad so it was a third of people being like joe um you're dead right um John, we, we, John, we should be doing better. We should be doing this, that, and the other. Um, it looked like is, a lot of the coaches were on board with you. Yeah, which I'd hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, it, it, I don't think that's... I don't think what I said is is wrong or um, could be in any way disputed. I, I, I firmly hold that belief. Again, for people, it's definitely suited for some people, but not for that specific population at that time um and then there was another maybe third of people who were like okay you don't know what the session was do you know what um you know, it, that's just hearsay blah 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 and i was like well it's not hearsay because the person who actually attended and went through the session told me exactly what it was so i know i know what it was i'm not i didn't see a 30 second clip and then extrapolate that to a full hour session and then another third of people actually didn't reply to the tweet itself but actually dm'd me specifically and said look I see what you write. Here's what we're doing. Um, what do it's kind it's kind of like what you outlined, but not really. And they give me a little bit of an overview of what they're doing. It's like John, what do you think? And I'm like John, I, like I love that because now I'm like, hey, your their main objective from that, like reaching out is okay. Let me do things better. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, like we tend not to pay too much attention to those people that are agreeing with us because we don't want to live in this echo chamber. Mm-hmm. I want people to disagree with me because then I get to formulate either one affirmative belief of what I actually think and whether it's right or wrong, or if someone can pick holes in it, then okay, maybe I might be wrong. Um, but I know in that specific instance, I'm not wrong. <laughs> now, was I wrong in how I deliver? Look, maybe we can argue that, but look, it does. Well, it it your, does well for Twitter, like yeah, it was your method for delivery, of yeah, delivery, um, and. That was what I was going to ask was like, how much of your Twitter personality is your personality and how much is a marketing tactic or is it a little bit of both? Uh, I would say Twitter is my actual personality. I don't think it is from knowing you. Um, I think it's an aspect of your personality. It's it's there and it's, and I like, let's be honest, I, I do have to hold back sometimes because some, sometimes people will say something and I know for well, I'm like, okay, that's wrong. Yeah. That's like, I couldn't disagree with you anymore. But sometimes you have to like, don't, it's not worth disagreeing with them. Sometimes if, if you're disagreeing with someone's belief on something and it's that whole do no harm thing and if it is doing no harm, like, do you know what? All the best. It's not going to impact the way I live my life, how I do things. I'm going to do things. It, it suits you. You enjoy it. You're healthy. You're happy. That's more important. And like, I'm not going to disagree with someone over. You know, I I don't want to get into an argument just for having an argument's yeah. sake. 
But if if there's an argument to be had with the goal of improving something, it yeah. could be seen as that failing forward. It could be the same thing. Yeah, yeah. If someone's looking at that, um, and it's again, it's why we put up content anyway for yeah. people to see it, to learn, to learn, and sometimes you're gonna get to be challenged. Okay. Yeah, challenged, um, challenge people's belief systems around how they do things, um. And then, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of me like, Joe, I wouldn't mind now, like, someone to see, like, if they disagree with me. And I'm thinking about putting stuff up, and then I'm like, oh, I'm too busy for that. Because, like, it does, like, like arguments are, like, they do take up, like, yeah, some space. That's why brain, I like, choose not to partake. As um, I said, it's the mental space and the mental capacity. Yeah, I think that's why I take Saturdays that. and Sundays off. Yeah, probably. The Friday night, we're good to go. And then Saturday and Sunday, we're like, flat out. Like, Claire hates me first. She's like, what, who giving out to now? I was like, I'm not giving out. I'm having a conversation. <laughs> Just having a conversation with yeah. someone about something, something. And I think, look, I, I, you you know there's there's people out there who will purposely be very outspoken and just purposely put up stuff that's mm-hmm. very, um, very disagreeable with yeah. just to get reaction because you have to, in the social media age, you do have to, if you want to go viral, essentially, you do have to be controversial unfortunately um we don't have to be but it helps i was gonna say you don't sorry i'll rephrase it you don't have to be if you are you are more likely to take off Mm. if you want to stick to your guns and and don't provide like high quality content like yourself in terms of with virality yes um but i think like you said like i'd rather have like 10 20 likes on a, on a video or a reel around you know like a transition movement mm-hmm. and Joe quite happy with like you know three three and a half thousand followers because we're busy as busy as a business mm-hmm. then be controversial for controversial sake to all right I might go from three to 20 but like what does that do for yeah. us as a business is like it's not really where it's like Twitter like it's funny because like as that happened, it actually coincided with our biggest growth in, um, say, remote work for for clubs and dealing directly with coaches. So working as a consultant for, because um, I'm working with the crowd above in um, ladies football team in Roscommon. Um, done a bit of work with the club in in uh, Clamaris in Mayo, mm-hmm. uh, one in Mead as well. So like there, it, there is that benefit to it. Um, and as long as I think you're not doing it just to be controversial sake and then be personal with people around like getting away from what the actual topic of the conversation is, then I think it's it can be okay. I don't do it on Instagram at all um, just because it's just, it's not. <laughs> no. I, I think what you're saying there as well is being controversial and outspoken and whatnot, it is useful for attraction mainly um in terms of you're gonna be more likely to go viral and get more people following you and looking at the page but then you provide more of the value then thereafter with the Mm. content that you're delivering which is a really effective way of doing it and then Mm. you're going to be more likely to sign up and want to work with you and one thing i'll say as well is i don't think you're inauthentic at all on twitter i think you're quite authentic i just think how sound you are isn't conveyed on Twitter. Yeah, I know because it's funny because it's I, hard to convey. I, I I have this thing in like one of my best mates. Um, like I when I text people on WhatsApp, like I'm like I always use emojis. I have to because like I'm like if I write a text message and it's just text straight away, I'm thinking like that this person's ticket me. What's wrong with them? So like every every 
message that I send, unless it's like obviously a professional one, mm-hmm. but eating, it might be a thumbs up or you know, like the strong arm. There's mm-hmm. some emoji in there. So I think that... I do that as well, actually. Yeah, because I, I think it, it just... it it allow that's why i probably focus a bit more on voice messages as well because the tone of my voice can come across Same. video suits way better because again facial expressions are easier to convey how i'm actually feeling about things tone of voice as well whereas twitter is just text, text yeah and it's very hard to read just text yeah. in any other tone than aggressive yeah. direct and the confrontational Especially when there's, it's like just full stops as well. Yeah, because it's, it's just like you're reading this text and you're like, oh my God, what's wrong with him? Like, so because like my my mate Mike will text me, um, like very short text messages with no emojis, and I'm like, oh my God, he's, he's, he's angry at me again. What's wrong with him? It's so funny that like if you text someone, I'll be there in five minutes, no full stop. Yeah. Oh, grand, I'll be here. I'll be, I'll be there in five minutes, full stop. <laughs> you're like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> and you're like, it's like. Joe, the difference between someone being like, we need to talk versus yeah. like, you know, are you free for a chat? It's like that whole like yeah, yeah. framing of it. But like, yeah, the full stop changes things completely. They're like, oh God, what, what, what are you going to talk about? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's it's the, like, I, I don't, I don't envisage us anytime soon, like double down, doubling down on the, the social media side of things as a, as a major way to increase business. Now I say that with the full understanding that I would, say about 75 percent of our our leads to websites and stuff like that do actually come from organic socials mm-hmm. um so i understand the the utility of um providing like more value it has been a long time since i came across as like very like confrontational on twitter yeah i've i've tried to balance that out with a lot more video and being very helpful for coaches because i know it's mostly coaches that are on twitter anyway um now look would i rule out another one of those episodes again who knows um you'll probably try but, to be sound someday and you, get yeah again like that scenario it wasn't like i didn't just wake up one morning like you know what i'm going to be controversial today and I, yeah. I didn't make it up it was an actual scenario that happened that annoyed me and i was like this is i know there's going to be other people in the same exact scenario that are probably going to do the same thing and if it helps one yeah. person that's the job done it helped at least two people because again, Twitter engagement blew up and got like 300,000 like impressions. And I was like, this is great. Should we give it out about the steps the other oh, day? Because like, <laughs> it's so that funny because I was one of those ones that reached out to you. I was like, and, it, and it's because it blows up and people yeah. message you. And it's like, it's great for the algorithm because it gets to be your, mo- like as Instagram has moved towards more like direct messages, shares and stuff yeah. like that versus like likes. And it's, it's I got it's 20 great. plus comments like are on my story being like steps. That's steps. 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 And I get it on TikTok all the time. Yeah. And like, obviously from a game speed perspective and cha- and chasing improved change direction ability mm. and evasive or evasive maneuvers and beating defenders and whatnot. Mm. I'm not too interested. Yeah, it's not, it's, you don't have to worry about it. like it's not <laughs> yeah. it's not the point. Like if the ref uh, allows it, he allows yeah. it. Yeah, like, and I think like I said when when I I was one of those twenty, um, like I know that like you're not putting up being like oh this is like a a tech a technical, like, foul. Yeah, like, yeah, like it's yeah. like it's irrelevant in why you put it up. Yeah. Um, and even then, like we look the step stool. I think like the step stool is is not it's not a step stool anymore. It's like no. if you're if you're being seen to make no effort to 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 hop or solo, solo the yeah. ball or you know, same in hurling. Like if you get 
you'll you'll you're more likely to be called for over carrying when you're, there's no pressure around you versus when there's a little bit of close pressure the referee let it go a little bit because i think they do like as much stick as we give referees they do most of them do understand the the nuance around if there's close pressure like you're not just gonna willy-nilly like bounce the ball for defender to you're gonna hold on to it for a little bit longer and try at least try to make it look like you're mm-hmm you're um, not overcarrying. I think, I, think uh, I heard a referee say before that he doesn't really look at the steps so much as he goes for like four beats. Okay, yeah. And like... It's a seconds it's thing. A, like, yeah, yeah. It, not even seconds, but like... Well, yeah, I suppose it is seconds, but like... And it's about the pattern of how the player is moving and where they are. And I thought that was probably a good analogy to yeah. describe how they do it because we all know it's more than four steps now. Oh, 100%. But also it's up to their discretion it also makes it a little bit vague in terms of like what's a beat for one referee versus a different one yeah. if it's not second but even like like you take it as a player the amount of decisions and what you have to see and like all you're really focused on is like mm. man ball teammates where the goals are yeah yeah you're a referee you have to worry about what's going on Everything. player on the ball primary defender secondary defender what's going on 80 yards away at the same time um so again it's it's a it's a tough job and i think it's like that as in if you're if you're not taking like the piss with it and you're running like you know 30 40 yards without making any attempt under no pressure then it's obviously over carrying whereas like if you have the ball and you've taken like three or four steps and then there's a there's a contact with the defender and you manage to get away from it you've probably got another second or two to yeah. to make that play versus and then it's that where you fall into that line where okay well okay there's contact and now you know there's three or four like mm-hmm. you know, the dublin footballers like do it like incredibly well but they swallow you up mm-hmm. and then you get called for overcarrying because you're not making no attempt to play the ball now as a player you can't because there's four lads over you and you're on your back like yeah um, and we've all seen somebody call for steps when they didn't take any steps because they just stood there with the ball like that yeah because then it's a time thing because yeah. the step <laughs> doesn't count if we don't take any yeah but like, it's like yeah. but you didn't play the ball so yeah steps. yeah and stuff like that but so anyway quick for your questions yes because we're too busy men too busy men yeah proudest achievement to date um professionally i think it's gonna sound funny but still being in business Mm. um i think like you hear all these things around like you know three to five years like if you're still in it um like i'm coaching what am i now be 30 next year um 29 i am coaching since i was 16 i'm doing the gym stuff since 2016-17 transition to do an awful lot in terms of gyms i think getting to the point where like i i own the gym um and like i think the day i got the the certificate of registration for atlas high performance that was probably the day where i was like ah yeah we're 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 going somewhere with this um so that was um professionally i think and obviously like personally i began married next year i think just i said me and claire been together for 10 years like again been through like 10 years of it's a lot like a lot can happen in 10 years so i think those two things and you know, i suppose like organizing it as well because <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm very chaotic but like you get it done you just get stuff done like yeah. yeah you have to get stuff done favorite athlete of all time um favorite athlete, yeah, i'd probably go lebron james um just i think what he's done as a as a basketball player and this the narrative around him 
coming into the league at 18, you know, he was like, someone said, like, if he's anything less than a Hall of Fame athlete, he's a bum. Like, he's come into the league, he's averaged something like 25 points a game for his whole entire career. He's nearly 40. He's still the best player on his team. Looks after himself incredibly well. Can can do, in the sport, he can do pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, so I think he he's one that I'd, I'd look to and be like, in terms of, like, athleticism, like, that's it. Yeah. That's the, that's the peak. I remember now, when COVID hit and I was in Singapore, I watched his high school games are on YouTube, like from when he's in high yeah. school. It's ridiculous. It's a laugh. Like, uh, it's scandalous. But anyway, what's the biggest thing you've learned in the last 12 months? Um, that I'm incredibly poor at saying no. Um, and that I ha- have a, like this love in with like, course correcting everything rather than like planning ahead of time I'm like I'll say yes to it now and then I'll figure it out um biggest learning thing I think from a coaching side of thing it's been and it was when we went to the, the sportsman conference around around those transition movements because I was I would have seen myself very good as um an SNC coach getting someone um I suppose stronger initially took the altus need for speed courses so my and the less development stuff so getting someone faster was also jump a strength a strength i think the coaching technical side of stuff was the strength for players and then also like dealing with coaches was also a strength what was missing was this like okay, how do i get people to stop change mm-hmm. direction tie in like game speed movements and how do we build sessions around specific movements and i think that now is kind of tied like everything together for me as a coach and even as a like i suppose as the the head of performance at Atlas, Atlas um, and coaching like our staff members around those things and, and getting us all on, the, on a certain level. I think that was, that's been the biggest thing for me in the last 12 months. The likes of the, the Speedworks um, transition movements, like the, those boys have been like massive for me, I think, and just like you know, being a sponge for their content. Shout out to Hailu as well. Shout out to Hailu, yeah. Oh, this just, it blew my mind when I saw it and I was like, I need to do this. And since I've done it, it's I have seen it now. It just just makes so much sense. And it's so simple, but just like they present it in a way that makes it simple. Simple, yeah, yeah. exactly. That's what they they do. Simple That's their and digestible. Yeah. What would you tell your eighteen year old self? Um, be who you're meant to be. Um, I think I had this thing earlier, especially in my early twenties, where I was trying so hard to be like Stephen. And then Stephen was like the coach mm. and I had this idea that I needed to be like probably like two separate people, um, which we're all getting too much into it probably led to like just making terrible decisions, mistakes as we all do like earlier in life. Whereas I think it's only maybe in the last two to four years maybe where I've like fully committed to like how I am as a coach is just how I am. Mm. Like that's how, like that's how I want to be all the time in terms of how I speak to people how i act how i behave around people how i help people with different things i think that has been the biggest thing for me like being very like logically like driven um probably learning to be a bit more emotional as well and blending the two of those but i think if i to to talk back to him i'd be like don't be who you're meant to be like stop trying to be two different people like because it's it's not good for you because nobody probably, can be two different no people. and it was again you get you get caught in this like space where like 
especially in 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 college where you're trying to be two different people and it, or like you know your your thing in college is like when you go out and you know excessive drinking and stuff like that it's just like be be who you're meant to be because that person is is more valuable to like me as an individual but also to like those around me because i'm like my life has been mental last like three four years but like it's just been like upwards since that moment has been less like ups and downs it's just been like this is who i am nuts but like yeah i love it like i love the chaotic nature of it (laughs) this is who i'm meant to be like yeah (laughs) class Stephen, thanks a million for coming on great conversation finally put together and uh Wishing you all the best with Atlets in the next year and thanks best luck much. to the Limerick ladies yeah, in a couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, lots coming up. Uh, thanks very much. Great to finally get it done.